Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 510 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing, publishing, and how to succeed as an author or writer. So what have you been up to this week? I'm talking to you now from Honolulu. Last week, you may remember that I was coming to you from the island of Kona in Hawaii because I was working as a mentor and facilitator at a conference for a group of incredible women. It was incredible. And I have to say, there is nothing I love more than helping people unlock their potential and seeing what's possible and what they're really capable of, especially when it comes to their creativity. So now that the conference is done, I'm taking a couple of days of well-earned rest here, basically on Waikiki Beach. (laughs) Yes, only a couple of days, but better than nothing, I reckon. It's probably also fitting that I'm starting the travel writing course this week, as in I am teaching the travel writing course that is starting this week. You can start the online course anytime this week. So being here in Honolulu, I am kind of talking the talk and walking the walk, so to speak. If you're interested in travel writing, go to writercenter.com.au slash travel. Being here in Waikiki and having a bit of a rest has also been a great chance for me to journal, pour out my ideas for so many creative projects that I'm sure I won't have time to do them all. But after I had a big night's sleep, much needed sleep after the end of the conference, I did wake up very excited and decided to open my newly acquired journal because of course you have to buy one everywhere you go and start with a blank slate of all of the things that I want to do. I just love it. You know, I love that feeling when everything is full of possibility. And I think part of that is because I'm, you know, like unencumbered by the usual things that are happening at home in my normal environment. You know, if only I could get away more often, right? Even if you don't have a chance to get away, you know, get away to the cafe, get away down the road, get away to the beach or get away, you know, somewhere that's just not your usual environment. But now, of course, I want to talk about my favorite thing. This week's word of the week is triskaidekaphobia. Triskaidekaphobia. It's a noun and it's a fear of the number 13. Now you've probably heard that there are many buildings that don't actually have a floor number 13 because of people's superstitions around the number and so on. And I have to admit that I thought it was a bit of an urban legend. So I had a quick look and yes, it does seem that many elevators won't label the floor 13. In a study of New York buildings with 13 or more stories, only 9% of the 629 buildings had their 13th floors labeled as number 13. So I guess triskaidekaphobia is alive and well. Do you suffer from triskaidekaphobia? let me know. But for now, let's move on to our giveaway this week. This week's giveaway is super exciting because it's the book by our writer in residence this week. You have a chance to win one of three copies of The Killing Code by Ellie Marnie, a historical mystery about a girl who risks everything to track down a vicious serial killer for fans of The Enigma Game and Last Night at the Telegraph Club. Virginia, 1943. 
World War II is raging in Europe and on the Pacific front when Kit Sutherland is recruited to help the war effort as a codebreaker at Arlington Hall, a former girls' college now serving as the site of a secret US signal intelligence facility. But Kit is soon involved in another kind of fight. Government girls are being brutally murdered in Washington, D.C., and when Kit stumbles onto a bloody homicide scene, she is drawn into the hunt for the killer. So you have a chance to win one of three copies of The Killing Code by Ellie Marnie. Just go to writercentercomau slash win and make sure you follow the instructions. If you're at that URL in the future, don't worry. There'll be some other fantastic prize there for you to win. Entries close on the 7th of November. But now, from the author herself, are you ready for our writer-in-residence? Ellie Marnie's latest book is The Killing Code, which is set to be a success, especially since her last book, None Shall Sleep, became a New York Times bestseller. This is actually her 10th book, and she's had a unique journey as an author who has released books by mainstream publishers as well as indie publishing herself. The Killing Code is published by Alan and Unwin. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ellie. Thank you so much for having me here. It's lovely to be here. Now, we're here to talk about your big break, which actually happened quite some time ago, like more than more than 10 years ago. Um, can you tell us how you got, what you were doing in life and then how you got your big break into the world of writing and publishing? Uh, what was I doing at the time? I was raising lots of children. I had four children um, and my youngest was one, one-year-old. And um, I first before he was born, I had started submitting short stories to competitions. And um, then finally in 2009, I entered the Scarlet Stiletto Awards and uh, had a really successful placing. I won the Kate Kennedy Best New Writer Award, which was very exciting. So that kind of spurred me to continue submitting and um, applying for you know, competition entries. What were you, what did you submit? Was it an entire manuscript or a short no, story? What a, did you submit? Just a short story. It was just a short story for um for the Scarlet Stiletto Awards, which are run by Sisters in Crime annually. And um, I believe the cutoff for this year has just finished. Um, but they have the largest cash prize pool of any short story competition in the country. So it was really exciting to be entering but then you know to to have a placing was really exciting well it's not and just then, a placing you won that <laughs> you won yeah well the, the following year <laughs> I I tried again I submitted a short story it was called uh tallow and it was about a woman who discovers that her husband is a contract killer and then when she finds out he tries to kill her and then in the struggle she accidentally stabs him and then she's got to get rid of a body. But fortunately, she's a, a soap and candle maker. So I, um, I incorporated that aspect into the short story and submitted it again to the Scarlet Stiletto Awards in 2010. And that year I, I won. I won the Scarlet Stiletto Award, which was um, their big cash prize plus also national coverage. So that was um, the most encouragement that I'd received um, for my writing up until that date. Um, and what did and that do for you? 
Yeah, well, um, the Scarlet Stiletto is great because it's a national award. You, um, your name gets published in the paper. You have something you can put on a writing CV. So it was really useful in that respect. It also, your story is also published in an anthology. So it was a fantastic opportunity. And at that stage, I had been writing, um, you know, as a hobby for, for some time. And um, my hobby had expanded to fill somewhere between 14 and 17 hours a week. So that seemed like quite a lot of time to be spending on something that I was, I was just categorizing as a, a fun thing to do in the margins. Um, so once I had uh, that win with the Scarlet Soletto, I, um, I thought, okay, well, it's time to fish or cut bait. So I, uh, I started working on a novel. Fantastic. Then, yeah. <laughs> it was, um, it, I had, you know, I'd written m- probably nearly 100 short stories up to that point. And then I thought, okay, it's time to tackle something larger. And if I'm going to do this for so many hours a week, um, um, before my final child reaches school age and I have to start looking for, you know, proper work, <laughs> um, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to take a couple of years and, and see if I can, I can figure this out and maybe sell something. So I wrote a book uh, <laughs> and then um, – and then it was uh, signed in 2011. So my first book, Every Breath, was signed by Alan and Unwin in 2011 and then published in 2013. And, and um, no doubt the, I mean, do you think that the winning and placing in the award um, was beneficial in terms of what, like your confidence in terms of um, what Alan and Unwin thought of you and your writing? Do you think that it played into that? I think all of those things, yes, because um, up until that point, I'd had a few um, experiences with placing in competitions, which was really nice, and that kind of slowly bolstered my confidence, um, which when I think when I originally started was at zero, uh, and then, you know, that takes a long time to build up. And then when I, I, placed, I won a national competition, that gave me something that I could include in my um, query letters to publishers and saying, look, I've won this national competition. It's a women's crime writers competition. I'm now writing a book um, about, you know, a crime story. So I'm writing crime fiction are you interested in having a look? And that would at least pique their interest in looking at what manuscript except that I was sending. Um, yeah, so I think I think it was comps, comps have uh, a great way of uh, giving you a bit of a perspective, a bit of ob- objectivity on your own writing. And so what happened after Every Breath? Uh, so that was a really whirlwind experience of publishing. So when Every Breath was signed in 2011, I went through the process of preparing it for publication and they were so enthusiastic, Alan and Unwin, about publishing the book. Um, pretty soon after its release, they, they were like, oh, well, I think we might publish a second one. And I'd already started work on the second one. Um, so that moved along very quickly. So I, I actually published Every breath, every word, and every move in a three-year period, which is 
uh, a very intense publication schedule, <laughs> which I didn't realise, of course, until um, much much time had passed. But um, but yeah, those were those were my first three books, um, and then of course um, the book that I wrote after that, uh, No Limits, was rejected by my publisher, which was a huge shock. And also, it's worth I think remembering that at any stage of your career as a published author. You, your, your work may be rejected, you know. Not everything that you want to sell through a publisher or through a traditional publisher is going to make the cut. And why do you think they rejected it? I think it was a little bit too mature. I think uh, Every Breath had been pitched squarely at the YA market, whereas this was much more upper YA or some people have referred to it as, you know, new adult, which is kind of that um, liminal um, age demographic between about 18 and 22, 25. So the characters had just finished high school or had been out of high school for about a year and a half. And, um, and that wasn't really what they were interested in for the Every Series brand, which was fine. Um, and I could totally understand. It was also some pretty tough material. It was, um, it was about drug crime. So that was a shift away from, you know, murder and conspiracy and um, dastardly daring do, which was a bit more characteristic of the Every Series. And so what happened then? Um, so after that rejection, I was like, obviously very sad because <laughs> it's very hard to trunk a manuscript. When you have a manuscript and you decide that it's not going to sell, you do what's called trunking. So you just put it in a drawer. Yeah. Um, and then after that experience, I was like, well, what am I going to write next? So I talked with my publisher about that and started work on a new book, uh, which eventually became White Knight, which was published in 2017. But in 2016, while I was writing that book, White Knight, uh, I was still kind of ticking over this idea with, of no limits in the back of my mind. So um, I had been looking around at self-publishing and what was happening in the self-publishing field because it seemed like a really dynamic field that was changing really rapidly. And I thought, well, I've got a manuscript and I know that there will be people out there who might want to read it. So I thought, okay, I could give this a shot. I could self-publish it. So that's what I did. So I published that book in 2016 myself and then a year later White Knight came out. And then in 2018... I, um, I published three more books on independently on my own. Um, basically, I wanted to see what the demand was like and what my mastery of the media was like because self-publishing is one of those things that you, you learn the skills and then you need to go through them again and again to kind of make them stick in your brain. Um, and so what was the demand like and what was your mastery of the skills like? <laughs> Overall, how do you describe the experience, your experience with indie publishing? Indie publishing was great. Um, I really enjoyed being in full control of everything. I think a lot of authors would appreciate having the control over the production process um, that you normally don't get to participate in when you're publishing through traditional houses. Um, and that was that was re actually really enjoyable and learning new skills, even though it was a massive and extremely steep learning curve. It was something that I feel like really benefited me as an author, knowing what happens behind the scenes, 
how a manuscript is turned from a Word document into a typeset, manus- you know, a typeset uh, series of pages, what metadata is, how to negotiate with booksellers, uh, how to arrange distribution and publicity or promotion for your titles yourself, how to set your own prices. You know, all of those things are really um, useful and they're not things that I think I would have dived into much if I just continued traditionally publishing everything. And so, did indie publishing um, meet your financial expectations or book sale expectations? Um, it it covered all my costs and that was kind of what I was interested in doing in, because I knew that I wanted to, I didn't want to just publish. I think people are wholly successful in indie publishing if they are completely devoted to that particular platform, to that particular style of publishing, and particularly if they're prepared to um, learn all the ins and outs of advertising because um, that itself is a, practically a full-time job and, you know, there's a lot of information out there and uh, it can be quite hard work to schedule advertising. Um, so I wasn't prepared to go quite that far into learning all of those skills. But what I did learn was enough to um, allow me to pay off what I expended on the book production process. And it was another great way of keeping my name, my author name, coming forward, you know. So it was, it was a boost for my profile. Mm-hmm. And so after those three books then, what did you do then? Um, I was really interested in um, exploring the U.S. market. I mean, I think most authors in Australia are interested in what it's like to sell overseas, um, mainly because we're living in a very small country with a very small population. So there's a limit. There's definitely going to be a cap on what you can sell in this country. So, you know, you have to look further afield. Um, So I thought, okay, well, um, I'm going to pitch something to the US. I'm going to, I had parted ways with my agent at that point and I thought, okay, I, I'm ready. I, I need a new agent. I can pitch to a new market. So I need a new book. And then I was on writer's retreat and um, I was discussing it with some other author friends and they said, uh, well, you're going to write a new book. What are you going to write? And I was like, oh, I don't really know. And then a friend of mine said, um, what would you really want to write? You know, if this was like the last book you could ever write, what would you desperately want to write? And I said, I'd really like to write a YA serial killer thriller. Um, I want to write a YA Silence of the Lambs. And the, and my friend was like, yes, this book, this is the one. <laughs> and she was like, and I was like, it'll be too hardcore. And she said, don't worry about that. <laughs> Just go for it. So that's what I did. Um, I wrote an entire manuscript um, I'd, I'd written half of it by the time I was ready to start pitching. Um, I was given a recommendation for an agent by another author, and then I pitched the first half of the manuscript to them, and then, um, and then they got back to me and said, oh, um, have you got the other half of this book? Because <laughs> we really like it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, give me three months. And then I madly finished the, um, the final half of the book in the three months. Um, and that was Nunchal Sleep. Fantastic. And that went bonkers. Yes, um, it did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, And it became a New York Times bestseller. Yeah. How did you feel when you heard that news? 
Hmm. Um, in shock. <laughs> um, um, another author friend, I don't know if you know Will Kostakis. Mm. He um, sent me a text message out of the blue. Uh, I was doing all my usual, you know, um, morning things, taking children to school and getting breakfast. And I'd just come from um, an appointment and he was like, oh, congratulations, New York Times bestseller. He sent me this text. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, my God. What incredible and, news. And he said, like- you're a New York Times bestseller. And I said, and I, he and I have always joked around. So I was like, yeah, sure, Will, whatever. <laughs> and then he said, no, seriously, you're a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> That was about the time that I burst into tears um, because, you know, it's like the, the winning a gold medal at the Olympics or something like that. It's, it's the ultimate. It's the Everest for, um, for writers. So that was completely life-changing. And um, it has, yeah, made a, a significant difference now to the way I pitch and the way I create new work. In what way? I mean, well, before you answer that question, um, so you had thought, okay, I really want to break into the US market. So you set about with that in mind and then um, it got published in the mm-hmm. US. Um, how has it then impacted the way you think about your writing in terms of, you know, knowing that you want to get published more then? Yeah, Um well, for a start, everything that I pitch going forward has, you know, I can now append the uh, yes. from New York Times bestseller, you know, to my name, which which makes a huge difference when you're pitching to publishers yes. um, because they are looking, they're actively looking for people who've had previous success. So that definitely every success that you have as a writer is something that builds on to mm. your CV. And because this is the pinnacle, it's the one that you're always going to aim for and mention first. Um, so everything that I pitch going forward will will have that, you know, imprimatur on it, which is really exciting. Um, and it also makes me think, well, it's not completely out of my reach to do this. I think, you know, if you'd asked me uh, 10 years ago when I first started or even five years ago when I was still struggling to get things um, accepted by publishers or, or trying to get the next book out, I would have said, oh, well, maybe one day, you know, I'll, I'll aim for the New York Times. But um, now I'm kind of like, well, you did it once, so what's to stop you from doing it again? So that's, it's that real confidence boost which makes you think, makes you comfortable in the idea that, yes, this is definitely an achievable outcome. It's something that I can keep continue to work toward. and. Also, just to keep trying the, the things that, that readers, that my audience seems to really enjoy. Mm. So I am trying to continue to lean into YA crime, um, a little bit more uh, tension and thrills on the page, a bit more blood and gore maybe than most <laughs> YA writers include. Um, and, yeah, so I'm, I'm, you know, jumping off from there basically. Now, you don't live in... New York or America for that matter, or even in a capital city of Australia. You live in sort of like rural Victoria, country Victoria. What did your agent think about the chances of, you know, someone from country Victoria cracking it into the US? Did that did that matter to them at all or they were just sold on the story? 
uh, they were just sold on the story. They weren't that worried about the distance um, because everything's connected now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Different. that. Yeah. And I think um, lockdowns uh, over the last two years have really highlighted that aspect that it doesn't mm. matter where you are, that you can tune into a book launch that's happening in New York or in Sydney right. or in Paris, or you can watch the, you know, somebody on their balcony in Italy singing <laughs> in the middle of lockdown. So we're, as, we're much closer together than we are divided um, yeah. now that we have the capacity to, to, um, to go virtual. Yeah, it's wonderful, so, isn't it? Yeah. So in terms of that, it, it certainly wasn't off-putting to my agent to think, oh, I live out in a rural backwater in north-central Victoria. <laughs> Um, okay <laughs> but that that brings us then to the killing code mm-hmm. oh, the killing code yeah your latest you got book. one too I got oh one yes too. and and see at the bottom from new york yeah. times best-selling author ellie marnie love it so <laughs> andy <laughs> yes so let's tell everyone what the killing code is about okay the killing code i've been talking about it so much lately um <laughs> the killing code is about four Code girls in 1943 who are working at a secret um, code-breaking facility uh, called Arlington Hall, um, just outside of Washington DC, and how these girls have to join forces to break the code pattern of a serial killer who is murdering government girls, and that's what the story is about. Wow! How did you come up with this idea? Oh, it was just like one of those circuitous routes that authors always end up um, following. Um, I think it's a uh, it's a bit of a you know what do you say um, professional hazard to become a little bit obsessed with um, with certain topics. You know, you find something and you become a little a little into it. You really dive into it. Um, and I watched a show called The Bletchley Circle, which was on telly a long time ago and um, I think it was a BBC production and it was about these women who had uh, been code breakers during World War II and then about 10 years after the war they get together again they gather them they gather together again to solve a mystery and I thought that would be really cool if it was teenage girls <laughs> because you know I write for teenagers so teenage girls are my wheelhouse um, and then um, I was like okay how about um, Bletchley Park? So I looked into Bletchley Park where Alan Turing broke the Enigma Code. And that was really fascinating to me, the fact that there was 70% of the workforce was female, that the average age was 19. Um, they were all so young. It was such, a, such an intense place to work on 24-hour shift rotations. Um, and then I looked a little bit further along the thread and found this place called Arlington Hall, which was the allied U.S. Army uh, center for signal breaking, uh, for signal intelligence operations in the States. And then as soon as I read this one line that said, uh, it used to be a junior college for young ladies. And I was like, that's it. That's my entry point. Because, you know, you've got a whole bunch of teenage girls all living in this hot house environment in this decrepit old mansion, which used to be a junior college for women. And, um, and now they're all living there, sharing clothes and nail polish and rations, t- 
trying to get these codes frantically broken in time to prevent deaths in the field in World War II. Um, and then add a little bit of murder and, and we're off to the races. So why your interest in serial killing? <laughs> <laughs> why? Oh, I don't know. That's a very good question, isn't it? Um, I don't know. I'm fascinated by... I mean, I shouldn't say I'm fascinated by serial killers, should I? That makes me sound really weird. Um, I am. I mean, look, I actually think those characters are always really interesting on the page because they're they're people, they're characters who make decisions that we can't even imagine making Um, and they're completely unpredictable. So we can't see what, you know, is driving them and that makes them interesting to us as a reader because you just don't know what they're going to do next. But I'm also really completely fascinated with the detectives who explore these kinds of mysteries because, you know, what motivates you to do that? What, what motivates you to, to continue pursuing this kind of, um, I don't know, really horrible person in the face of great personal danger? Um, and, yeah, I find that really fascinating. Shows like Mindhunter are just catnip for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so tell us what was the most satisfying thing about writing The Killing Code? The most satisfying thing, I think, was feeling like I, recognising the simpatico between the relationship between the situation of the girls who were working at Arlington Hall, working so hard to break these codes, working together in this really collegial environment, um, but all intensely all squashed in together, (laughs) and um, being able to talk about the friendships between them and the relationships between them and the romance between them as well because, you know, there's a a queer romance at the centre of the book. And... To be able to produce all of that while I was in turn locked down with my family in this hothouse environment in my tiny little house (laughs) with all my kids at home and um, my partner trying to do remote teaching at the kitchen table while my children are trying to do remote learning and I was trying to work, just the fact that I managed to get the book written, that in itself was a major victory. Well, congratulations on The Killing Code. Very excited for you. Thank you Thank for you sharing so much. your author journey with us. And I have no doubt this is going to be another cracker. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for your time today, Thanks Ellie. so much, Valerie. It was great to talk to you. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our hugely popular course, How to Write About Murder, is all about creating more authentic action for your crime or thriller novel. Presented by award-winning crime author Candace Fox, this course covers nine modules of fascinating detail, taking you beyond the police tape to explore what motivates killers and how they go about their business. You'll also immerse yourself in the chase, from the murder scene and autopsy to the investigation that follows. Here's what Danuka McKenzie says. 
I am now a published author. My crime novel, The Torrent, is being published by HarperCollins. I discovered the anatomy of a crime, how to write a murder course, and I really thought that would be something that would be useful for me. I just loved it because it really broke down the different aspects of crime. So really right from the motivation to commit a crime through to the afterwards, you know, the arrest and then the prison life as well. And it really went through all the research that you need to do as a crime writer to kind of get those realistic aspects into your writing so that your readers will go with you on the story. I'm very grateful to the Australian Writers' Centre and to the whole community for being able to get me to this stage of having a published novel and continuing to be able to write as my full-time job now. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash murdercourse. That's writerscentre.com.au slash murdercourse. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and gained a bit of an insight into the life of an author. Feel free to connect with me on socials. I am at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm over at ValerieKoo.com where you can have a peek into my other life which is very different from my writing life. But also, I would love to connect with you in the Facebook group, in the listener community. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook, and I'd love to see you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentercomau slash podcast. Or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentercomau slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.